Hello and welcome. My name is Liva Bonnevi and this is episode 13 from Clan of the Horses, a podcast about horses and horse people. In the Sidney Pollack film Out of Africa from 1985, starring Meryl Streep and Robert Redford, one of the trailers for the film started with a voiceover saying, I had a farm in Africa, at the foot of the Ngong Hills. So I figured if this episode was a film, it would probably have been called Into Norway. And the voiceover would have said, I have a farm in Norway, at the foot of the Rondana Mountains. This episode is the second part of the story of the rural farm known as Dream Valley. In part one, you met my now-deceased friend Tina. In part two, I invite you to meet Vivienne, the young Swiss woman who was chosen to write the next chapter about the herd known as the Dream Valley Horses. So Vivienne, we are um, in Dream Valley and I've uh, come to ask you to tell the story about how you ended up here. So um, where would you like to start? It all started actually with me finishing high school and uh, wanting to do nothing else but the gap year. And that's what I did. And uh, in this gap year, I kind of asked myself what were my dreams because I kind of have forgotten during school time. And um, it didn't have space. And in this year, it came out. I really wanted to see the wild horses. I wanted to see horses, how they live without humans. Because I've always been with horses and I've gone through a lot with them and a lot when I finished school because I didn't have to anymore myself and I could give the horses more liberty and freedom. And uh, so this wish came up and I was scrolling on the internet wanting to book a workshop in Bosnia with these wild horses and uh, I was in this webpage and I tried to click the button and it didn't work. And I was getting a bit angry. <laughs> I was like, oh, my dream. I want this so dearly. <laughs> and uh, it didn't work. And I scrolled over this web page. And uh, then I came over a photo from two horses in, in the Norwegian landscape. And uh, my eyes immediately stuck to this picture. And I read the short text below. And it was about an artist living in Norwegian countryside uh, near a national park living vegan uh, practicing yoga <laughs> and uh, I was just reading through and I felt like this is the place to go this is what I feel like what is calling me out of my core <laughs> and I wrote to this woman Tina and uh, she wrote back and I was like when can I come and uh, then I think three weeks later I stood in front of this broad wooden bridge with my suitcase. And uh, at this moment, I had this thought like, what am I doing here? I'm here for a month now. I've never been away from home for so long alone. And uh, I was like, did I think well about that? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> and I walked over the bridge and the thought was gone and I just felt like coming home and coming home in a way that I've never experienced it before. And it was 
diving into a life so close to nature, really like soaking up every cell with with what I've missed so much during my school time, being in nature, being with horses, smelling like forest, chopping wood, <laughs> carrying hay. Um, and I arrived here and from the first day on, I could have cried endlessly while thinking about I have to leave this place again. And that's how Dream Valley got me. <laughs> so it was an instant, it sounds like my first uh, meeting with Iceland. Mm. Once you arrive, it feels just like this is home. Yes. Yeah. So, and then you then you spent the month here in Norway with Tina? Yes, I spent the month here. I've been living in this wooden house and it was just, everything felt so natural. And I started to think about it when I got back home. Because till that time, I, I used to journal every day. And from this first month, I don't have so many writing, written things because I was just living <laughs> and I was just enjoying and feeling like I'm, I'm needed here and uh, I have a task to do. Finally, I have a task to do. And um, that's what I've been missing because I've been studying so much. I was like, where to go with it? What to do with it? And here I finally found somewhere to go and something to do. So it sounds like finding finding purpose and finding your true self in a way, the way you describe it. Yes. I kind of, I mean, I found myself, but it was like life just served me <laughs> a huge big task because what do you do when you found yourself and you return to a life that doesn't really fit anymore? So... When you got back to Switzerland from Dream Valley the first time, what would you say would be the biggest change or, or maybe the biggest shift in you? It was my way of looking at the world. I came back and I've always been, uh, through my whole school time, horses kind of carried me on their backs uh, beside and they've kind of guided me the way. And my biggest wish, wish was always to to connect with this animal. That was like, that moved me to do so many things <laughs> and never ending um, excitement around that. And I came back and I looked at the horses around and I suddenly saw so many sad eyes. And I saw thin horses looking like, yeah, they were used. And um, I, I saw horses that I couldn't really connect with, but I saw them in their way of being shot off and uh, <laughs> I've been living right next to a horse stable and I've been looking at horses the whole day and that was pretty you know sometimes you see what you see when you suddenly saw something else and that's what happened when I came back and that was kind of a crisis <laughs> because it was not nice to see that and I was at that point of time a I was living in Switzerland. I thought my future is going to be here. And I was like having this horses so close to my heart. And I didn't know what to do. Because I was like, what am I going to do? I love horses, but I will never have a horse in this way. And that's what, what, I, what I realized through experiencing these horses here in Dream Valley. Because I've never seen them so 
self-confident, like they were here, and being so free in their choice, like they were here. But suddenly I could see it. <laughs> and then uh, I, had, I had to process quite some things to just figure out. And for a very long time, I didn't really have contact with horses. I waited for the Dream Valley horses again, because there I could connect, there I could... Because when I was in the stable, I just felt all this pain. And it was a pain inside of me. Because I also forced myself to do things that I didn't want to do. And uh, it, it, was, it was just going along with some healing myself. And like redirecting my life into a, into a place where I could really say, this is filling me with a meaning and this is making me happy. And it is challenging me. <laughs> so that was the the biggest change I, I saw back and experienced back and the most lasting one actually because it uh, it's a change that happened in my life that will never change back I guess I had like a lot of being not okay with what we are doing with horses and I kind of judged it and then I I, I moved back to a very peaceful way of also just seeing we are all giving our best and I have been learning through every step I took and it's not up to me to judge that but to just go and to just remember what is there inside of me that is moving me and that's what horses really showed me that we can return back to this magic and one horse just dropped this sentence inside of me to, to just remind me of your dream is possible. It's possible and it's always possible. And that was another beautiful experience. Um, but uh, because I forgot, I forgot about my own dreams and horses reminded me of it. And uh, now I landed at a place with a herd of horses which is teaching me even much more than just believing in dreams. <laughs> they are teaching me now how to make the dream come true and to really live it <laughs> and to keep the joy in it. I think that is probably part of, not exclusively the Dream Valley experience, but it is for sure present here. Yeah. That you get to meet horses who speak louder. Yeah. Because, you know, when horses are treated the way that is really the traditional way, and you are in a school and taught the traditional part of riding, then you often miss that part because I, I had the same moment moment as the moment you describe. I had my horse in a very conventional stable. I moved it to something that it's not like Dream Valley, but it resembles it in a way. So you get away from the traditional way of being with horses. And I didn't really notice a change into that way of being with horses because it was very gradual. But then I've when I've done that for a, a period of time and I go back to the conventional stable, that moment that you describe, um, it's, um, it is in a way undescribable because then you really see what horses are and it's, it's a painful insight. Mm -hmm. And like you said, once you've seen it, there's no turning back. Yeah. It's like more, you know, more is possible and then you start to to want more and you want this peaceful look inside in the eyes of your horse and you're heading for it because before I didn't know I mean something inside of me knew and it always made me 
explore new things and question things. But uh, at many parts, I just didn't know any solutions or how to do it different. And suddenly I had one, so I had to do something. <laughs> and uh, this is this is something special about this place. And the horses are really the heart, the heart of it. I would not be here without the horses. No. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I talked to Tina about at some point I said to Tina that you are Green Valley and she, she confirmed that in some way she was but when I came up here and met you here I realized that that is true that it is the horses mm -hmm. that really is Green Valley yeah. and the humans are visiting yes, or staying for shorter or longer period of time but but the core of Dream Valley is really the horses here. Yes. And you can feel it here immediately. When the horses are away for a day, you miss something. And when you say the horses are away for a day, people are going to be, where are they? But that's some of the, <laughs> the interesting that's stuff. That's some other interesting stuff. <laughs> <laughs> like last night when we sat by the campfire, the whole herd was passing us and they just went away from the farm. And I said, and asked you where they're going and you said, I have no idea but they will be back in the morning yes <laughs> it's a magical place <laughs> yeah and really a place to return to dreams and it's like 1700 kilometers apart yes because you're from switzerland and this is the norwegian mountains yes mm. and at that point of time i mean i went back home and i was like i came into the house i was living in i i was like this smells strange how can can you live here? I remember sitting at the airport and having this um, publicity of like a hamburger in front of me and I was looking at it and I was like, is this food? Because we've been eating, I mean, Dream Valley was famous for eating delicious and like vegan and with vegetables from, from the vegetable on the plate, like <laughs> no uh, food processing. And uh, I was just in this micro little world for a month, totally tuned in. I came out, I was like, whoa, what happened? <laughs> but it, it touched me in somehow. And when I left here, I, it was so painful. And it was a pain, I could not stop it. I thought I could cry it to an end, but it was not possible. So I just promised to myself that I'm going to do everything I can to bring this feeling of life into my life. And I would have never, ever thought that three years later I would live at that place. Can you tell me about how that happened? How it came about that you are now living here? Yeah, it was, I mean, it was for sure I would return. <laughs> <laughs> there's in in Hawaii they have a saying of like when you leave your shoes somewhere it's a sign you're going to return and someone told me that after I left Dream Valley and when I left Dream Valley I left my shoes here because Tina loved them so much and uh, I have them back now <laughs> and I, I left them here for her <laughs> and uh, yeah then I returned in summer 2019. So it was like the first summer was my summer to kind of wake up. I was like, whoa, I can go for something in my life that really sets me on fire. <laughs> and I kind of found something that 
had the power to do that. And so summer 2019, I was here with a friend and we were working a lot and just being very practical in this life, really helping Tina to get the, an easier way of living because she had kind of a hard time at that summer. And uh, that really worked to bring some lightness to this farm. And that was, yeah, that was so nice. And of course, I also returned summer 2020 against all COVID restrictions by then. And uh, I was here with Tina alone, like for two weeks. And uh, on the, it was already, uh, we've had seen it coming because we've been texting over the time where we were not together here. So the first evening, I needed quite some time to to you know realize I could actually move some part of my life to Norway <laughs> because I it was not possible before in my brain I was like moving to Norway what can I move to another country <laughs> and uh, then I told her the first evening I was like Tina you know I could imagine to to live like half or like eight months of my life in Norway would really appreciate that would it be possible to have part of that here on this farm <laughs> she was yes of course so i'm also gonna just be very open with you uh do you want to take over in some in case something happens to me so she then already asked in this way of what if i'm not here anymore because that was the most important thing that something was running on in case something happens to her as if she had felt it coming and uh, then we were the plans were to to be here together to so I would take over the horses and the farm business and she could do art because I I love her art and it would have been such a beautiful thing to to support her in that and I was like First, I was like, "Wow, I can!" I told her directly, "I cannot imagine living here the whole year." <laughs> she was like, "This is no problem. You can go in winter when it gets too tough, or uh, we even move the horses to somewhere else, and it it will be all fine." You know, <laughs> she tried to make it as easy as possible for me to just say yes, <laughs> and uh, so I was like, "Yeah, let's let's do that." And but at the same time, some something inside of me felt that or knew that Tina was not going to be here anymore when I move here and something knew that um, yeah <laughs> that life had another plan and we were talking about yeah doing it together and making a contract and everything but uh, I always felt this huge responsibility when we were talking about it and I had like two very intense weeks because I got like a preview of what is going to come and that was very intense and at point of time no one knew that she was sick so I was feeling kind of strange but it felt so true and I didn't question it because yeah so you were here spending the two weeks with Tina Neither of you knowing that at that time she was seriously ill. Yes. And then you got back to Switzerland? Yes. And what happened then? 
I mean, before I got back, I told her, yes, Tina, I can imagine that. Eight months a year, and we were going for that. And then I, in the summer, I traveled by ferry. And I remember I've been driving away on this ferry, and I've been looking at this country, and I was just like, why am I going back? This It felt so strange. And the same thing was when I came up, I was like, there I need to go. It was just like a magnet just pulling me here. And many things about it, I just slowly get to understand why. And then I got back to Switzerland and I had like kind of a hard time to to adapt again. And and uh, also my my parents could see it. They saw like she's having she belongs somewhere else now. So uh yeah. And then pretty fast it, it all developed. And with every, it, I was growing into these big, big shoes that were offered to me. <laughs> and I still feel like they're big. <laughs> but it's it's coming. And it, the more I grew into it, and also a bit like was forced growing into it, <laughs> um, the more it turned out that Tina was, was leaving this world and that was like it feels like we've reached each other a hand and just agreed on creating together like I feel like uh, she handed over a beautiful project beautiful message that I can really share and handed it over to uh, the next generation so a beautiful place and a herd of horses. Yes. All of a sudden. Yes. So I've been dreaming of that. But I thought I would have it at the age of 40. And then life came and said like, yeah, why why wait 20 years if you can have it now? <laughs> and, uh, yeah. My dream of, of, of visiting the wild horses came true like one year after I've been here. So I've been to Bosnia with Tina together and we visited these wild horses. I so didn't know that you were on that trip with her because yes. I knew that she was going, but you were there with her. I was there with her. We were sharing a room. I was, yeah, I was there even longer. And, uh, yeah. How did this come about? Uh, she called you or contacted you and told her, told you that she was, uh, she was ill and that there would be a change of plan or or how did that work out? You know, Tina, until the very end, she was about to, I'm going to heal. That's what she said. And I mean, I never told her, Tina, you know, you're going to die. That <laughs> Never. <laughs> I just saw her over this WhatsApp video chat and I knew what is happening. And I, yeah, uh, something already saw it in summer because for me, she had this kind of... I've seen someone dying of cancer before and I don't know, they had this kind of look and I saw this look on Tina and when the diagnosis came out, I was like, oh, that's what I saw. And um, we, I was just supporting her. The uh, The only thing I could do was really going to myself and feeling like i'm going to i'm going to move this on 
in my own way and finding my own strength and sweet spot. And the more I found that, the more I could say, Tina, I'm going to do that. And there were so many moments where where she was just, where she could also let go, where I saw it all falling off and where she was like so happy that someone is going to take care of her so most beloved horses and so that's what that's the o- that was the only thing I could do just grow into my own strength and uh, getting ready for an adventure that I had no idea where it was going to take me <laughs> because it's a it's a huge difference it's a huge difference from doing this with her for maybe eight months a year and then go back home for four months maybe and then come back and and kind of go in and out. It's it's like the 100% deal. Mm-hmm. So that must have been a huge uh, shift for you. But I remember, I, because I spoke to Tina very shortly before she died, that one of the things that was really resonating with her was that she had found the right heir for the place because she didn't, as you know, have any kids. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but she she found you and she was so confident and so happy when she spoke of you so this is one of the things i remember really clearly when i spoke to her in the you know when she was close to the end that she said that uh, i never knew your name at the time but it was the young swiss girl and she yeah. was the right one she said <laughs> and and to take it to take the place because she's built a very special place as we all know that no dream valley but but also knowing that she said, I'm handing the stick to you to do it your way. It really felt like she felt confident, you're mm-hmm. going to do it different, but it's going to be the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. So that, uh, to me, as a friend of Tina, that was really comforting to know that uh, there is somebody coming that she knows is the right one. For whatever that means. Because, you know, what it, this is going to be, is going to be up to you. Yeah. But... Can you take me to that moment where you realized for sure that this is going to be not an on and off deal, but it's going to be a new life? What it felt like when you had that shift from not being in charge and not being 100% responsible for it and just be you know, part of it and to be the one who's actually running the place. It's, it's, a, it's a farm close you know, in the middle of the Norwegian mountains, far away from everything. Yeah. To be honest, grocery yes. stores, cinemas, cafeterias—you <laughs> know, uh, everything. It is just the farm, the horses, the cats, and nature. Yes, that's it. Yeah. So, what did that feel like to know that this is going to be me now at this moment in time? Actually, during the last, during this process, there was no such moment. Because this moment, to me, feels like it was much earlier. Because it came out, I mean, I feel like this is so much. It has to be moved from somewhere very, very deep down. And so for me, this moment was when I was here the first time. It was like three days before I left. And I was just so overwhelmed by by tears. And I was sitting by the river and I just felt this huge pain kind of this pain and a wound that I don't know if it's ever going to heal and I sat there by this river and I just knew if I cannot 
heal it or, or make it quiet. I have to follow it. I have to serve it in somehow. I have to listen to it. And um, yeah, it's kind of, that was the moment where I was like, if this pain is here, I maybe better listen to it. And <laughs> that was my moment of, okay, there's going to come something. There has come something into my life that I have not planned. But it has got me. And there, this line for me of us as a, in a modern world, choosing, steering everything, heading for something, where this is really fading into dedication and surrendering to to life but still being a conscious individual inside of it so I'm not very sure if we choose our life or sometimes our life is choosing us and this is what I explore here <laughs> because I make a lot of decisions every day <laughs> but still some sometimes I feel like it's also just asking me to do something and I have to follow. So that moment was actually a lot earlier in this. And it, I have felt it and it has felt so deaf over and, and numb over my school time. But I always felt this wound. There was something missing. I could just name it as there was something missing. And then I finally had the luck to stand in front of one of the answers at the age of what was I then? 20. Yeah, just saying like, either I'm going to continue in a rather boring way with a very good life or I'm going to go for an adventure and see where it goes. <laughs> and uh, then, I mean, this all happened and I was, I was having <laughs> a long, long list with things saying, yes, Vivian, do that. Because I was asked again if I really wanted to do it. I could have quit it all. And I had a long list with things going for it. And I have such, I have such an equal long list with things saying never, ever even touch it. And at the end, I was just like, all right, what am I going to do? And uh, I, w I, I knew I would regret it if I don't do it. And I would regret it pretty fast. And so I did it. And it was like... It felt like a marriage. <laughs> I really, I sat in front of this lawyer and they were asking me, do you want to take over? <laughs> do you really want to do this? And I was smiling a bit. I was like, yes, I will. <laughs> so that was the actual official moment. But there were several times of saying yes. It was like, this moment by the river and then walking up a stair. One step after the other. Every day a little, yes. <laughs> it's a huge leap of faith, I think, for a girl your age living in Switzerland, traveling 1,700 kilometers north to a place like this. Not like we Norwegian says, not having even experienced winter here. Yes. Because the Norwegian winter is... Very different from the winter in your country, yeah. to put it mildly. <laughs> so we were thinking, has she even seen a whole year in Norway? I know what it feels like. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> so it's such a huge leap of faith. Yeah. It was like spring was new. 
Yeah. Summer is what I know here, mm. but autumn will be new, mm. which starts now. That's in the middle of August. In the mountains, <laughs> uh, autumn is hard to describe if you haven't seen it and felt it. Yeah. It's my really favorite time in the year in the mountains in Norway because it goes on fire. Oh, I'm so looking forward uh, to yeah, it. Yeah, it <laughs> goes from having all the green and, and dark colors to just be on fire with red, with yellow, with orange. And it's, uh, it's just unbelievable. Wow. So I'm uh, looking forward to hear what you think about that. And then yeah. after that comes winter, which is, um, which is dark in a very special way in Norway because this is quite far up north. So it's it's going to be long nights and short days. But the light is going to be something you've never seen before. So I think it's going to be a it's going to be an interesting journey that oh too. Yes. <laughs> it's like everything at once. Like I mean three of four seasons are new and one of them is very long and uh yeah, it really at that point I'm very happy I'm only 23. Because I'm just open for it. <laughs> just let's see where it goes. <laughs> yes. So at this moment, it feels like and looks like you are home. Yes, I am. I mean, I drove here over a road I never drove before. And maybe you know this feeling when you drive home as a child and you're already sleeping at the back and you've been driving this road so many times, you know, which... Uh, which movement the street is going to make. Mm. And I drove this street and I had exactly this feeling that I had as a child when I drove home. And I drove over a street where I've never been driving before. And uh, that felt very special. <laughs> you have just then followed your dream. I have followed the dream. And I have... I have, in somehow, moving here, I have followed a dream that I have not even yet been dreaming of. Because I thought this will be possible in like 20 years. But before it was just a big blank space. I didn't know what I should do before. I was having a very good life. I've been working at places I really liked. And I just followed my my feeling. But uh, yeah, and somehow I was offered some responsibility. And I thought if I look out into the world... What should we do? Taking responsibility is not the worst thing. <laughs> so I went for it. I feel I need to come back and talk to you again later. Yeah. You know, now you are at the start of something that's going to take shape as you go along. And it would be very nice to come back and talk to you after a while to see uh, where the journey has brought you. Yeah. If that would be okay. Absolutely. <laughs> so, um, yeah, to me, to me, the journey feels like it has started with the dream of wild horses. It has brought me to a dream valley that made a dream come true that I have not even really been dreaming about. But that was ready inside of me. And it showed me that uh, real life starts when the dream comes true. Then that is where the show starts. <laughs> and I'm looking forward to share how it goes on. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to hear the continuing of, uh, of this journey. Yeah. 
So should we make a deal that I'll come back sometime after winter, during winter or something? We'll figure it out. Yeah. But uh, let's let's make it a deal that at some point you call me and say, now we're going to take that second talk. Yes. And then I'll get my gear and pack my car and come. Yes. Thank you ever so much for this talk, Vivian. Thank you. And I wish you all the best of luck with the place and the horses. <laughs> you just heard episode 13 from Clan of the Horses, a podcast about horses and horse people. I want to thank my guest, Vivian. I want to thank my composer, Fredrik Blom. And last but not least, I want to thank you, dear listener, for your patience. May the horse be forever with you.